0: So, you know, I've been thinking recently, you know, uh, I'm always like a little, a little, uh, uh, you know, those pictures of data centers where there's like ethernet cables that are just a big rat's nest, a big jumble. Right. But it's, then there's, know, is
1: it a nice picture next to it? And it's always, it's so soothing. Cause everything's like uh, perfectly meshed together, but go on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's basically, I think as long-term listeners know, that's what the, that's what the inside of my, my mental scape looks like is the first one, just, yeah. a. No, no one remembers where these cables go or if they're being used they <laughs> don't really they don't know what they're doing they don't know what's going on okay. it's just like, it. like a flashing light and and i was thinking even though i am in a relatively same position i think after all this time i'm finally like starting to crack i just like I, mi- I miss traveling around i don't see people i'm here at the house now i just showed you i got this wonderful two screen setup mm-hmm. but uh you know i don't know i don't know what's going on finding motivation is difficult to just uh you know, so you mean specifically here, because of the pandemic, the, the ultimate sign of my motivation dropping is I've just given in and I more frequently than not make my children peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch just because like I know they'll eat them. Right. Like, isn't it the worst? I don't know how, how you I don't, are about that. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Why is this bad? Like, I don't like I mean, that's I feel like this is totally acceptable. Now, now I'm I know, starting to get know, now know, you're making me defensive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, because the, the worst is you know, you, uh, you make the lunch for your kids. The, the worst just is the
1: lunchable. Th- first of all, let's establish okay. the worst. Okay.
0: That's the bottom. Oh, so work I'm, saying, up from I'm that. saying the, I'm saying the worst as far as parental feedback looping, uh, mm-hmm. is like, you know, I make this lunch for the kids and then, uh, you know, I'm cleaning out their lunchbox cause they forgot to do that at the end of the day. And I just like dump out a whole sandwich. Right. And it's just like, this is a perfectly good ham and cheese sandwich, <laughs> ham and cheese sandwich. And like, you know, that ham was probably a Euro a slice. Mm-hmm. Right. Like over here, there's no there's no Hill Country Fair of like ham. Wow, okay. It's all like good ham. Mm-hmm. And uh, so but then they eat the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So you just make that. It just it's just there's no uh, there's no passion in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's strictly utilitarian and delicious. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, yeah it is. Uh, I, I need I need to uh, I, I need to reignite my uh, my passion about caring for things and i think there's two things that i know you know i read i read a lot of the uh, i read a lot of self help books and uh i i talk to people got a therapist all this stuff mm-hmm. and and what i have realized there's this thing that they always tell you is they make this appeal to your rational mind right that everything's fine peanut butter and jelly sandwich totally cool mm-hmm. it's everyone loves it you should just realize that that it's okay just it's you know do whatever. And I've realized that the problem is I used to, to some extent, like be able to harness my rational mind to motivate that, that rat's nest of ethernet cords. But I think, I think, uh, I think I didn't pay the, the, the upgrade fee for that piece of software. And like, there's all this stuff that I can rationalize out. And the rest of me is just like, "Mm, yeah, don't care. Right. Like that. Makes total sense, not going to do anything about it. Doesn't, uh, I, I don't like it. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that's, I'm just getting older or the plastic on all that wire is getting more brittle and breaking off. Or if like, I need to like go out and travel to have some release valve. I, I have no idea. It's, it's very mysterious, but at least I realized that point that like I have to somehow, I've got to find some way to re-engage that if you can rationalize something out, then you actually follow that. And that's 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 uh, that's what I'm asking you, Brandon. When when you're in a situation and you're like, either you know or someone has told you, it's just like this, this is the rational thing. It's totally okay to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, shouldn't feel bad about it. Times times are weird for everyone, just relax. Like I'm sure you're you're uh, you're a good functioning person. Like, what, how do, how do you, how do you make sure to like, what's the maintenance schedule that you got on that, that connection between rational reasoning and uh, sort of like functioning in life?
1: Mm. Man, that's a, that is a deep question here. I, I would say maybe the, the way I would think about it would maybe go one more level with the rational thought is just to say, it's completely rational to feel bad about, you know what I mean? To just acknowledge your feelings there and be like, I don't feel great about making the peanut butter jelly sandwich. It's fine. It's fine that I'm, I'm not feeling great about that. Lots of people have these kinds of feelings. It isn't, you know, I, yes, I may dwell on it a little bit, but I'm not going to punish myself for doing that. You know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time being mad about it or, you know, if you will, that self punishing, uh, I think self-talk, right. It's just to acknowledge yeah. that it's happening say like, it's very normal for this to happen. It's very normal for the the mind to go to a negative place. I'm just going to acknowledge it. I'm even going to let it happen. But I'm not going to spend I'm I'm gonna spend as little time with it as possible. And I'm just gonna right, right, right. that would be my I, yeah, my best you know, uh, advice.
0: I, I think I think I think you know, just to wrap the topic up, this is this is this is a case in point of the rational thing, is a lot of a lot of whether whether it's like, you know, whether it's like Buddhism or like whatever psychology is nowadays in the West, it seems to amount to two things. Just sort of the end goal, right? In the same way that like you know, I'll be like, digital transformation is really just about like getting better at doing software. So you can like change the way you interact with, you know, to boil it down. I think it's usually two things. It's one, it's sort of like, you should not worry about that. (laughs) Right? Like, like whatever, whatever issues you're having, whatever, like you're bringing to me, just don't worry about it. Like, just stop, right? Just like the peanut butter sandwich. And that's sort of like, basically what you get told over and over again. Now, the Buddhists are all like, you should not worry about it because you don't actually exist. And oh. once you realize that, it's really easy not to worry but I, I about guess that's the, I guess the next level of that is just to be like, no,
1: it's fine. I'm just going to, i just just acknowledging, I'm just going to worry about these things. And it's like, yeah, you know, just do right, my right, best right. to minimize it. And then like, just, and just know like, uh, oh, I'll fail a bunch. But it's just like, uh, that's kind of the human existence. Right, right. right. Like, no, and,
0: I, mean, and I, I think, I think that is, that's, that's a version of not worrying about it, right? It's, <laughs> you could call that accepting, Right. Acceptance.
1: Like, okay. But fair. you
0: don't, you don't, you don't like battle against it and then like cause all sorts of, uh, you know, you're not like, you know, like in Minecraft, if you try to battle, uh, a zombie that's on fire, oftentimes you catch fire. Yes. And then they, I think in Buddhism, they call this the uh, second zombie, uh, you know, that, that, that hurts you. But then the second thing that they always tell you is basically like, but there are, are some things in life that you need to plan for and just do. Right. Like if you were in this situation, like, you know, you got to you got to make money. So you got to go do a job or like you're going to have to make them a lunch. So you just plan for that. Right. Just make them the lunch. And that's that's where the rational thing, you know, like uh, there's this disconnect in my my Ethernet rat's nest. is It's just like I totally understand everything you're saying. And that doesn't do anything for me. Right. And so I got to uh, I don't know, I got to rediscover the uh, the first flaming zombie or something.
2: We are sponsored this week by StrongDM. Managing your remote team as they work from home? Managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access. Automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles. Grant temporary access that automatically expires to on-call teams. Admins get full auditability into anything anyone does. When they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed. It's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single, unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM. Manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your 14-day free trial today at strongdm.com slash sdt, all caps. Again, that's strongdm.com slash sdt. And we thank Strong DM for sponsoring our show.
0: I think the big news, and uh, Matt Ray can't be on uh, this week, but I think his, his company, Chef, and by his, I mean, he's worked there for a while. I don't think he has a, a, a significant ownership stake. It um, was purchased by Progress Software. Now, I did not make time to go and try to find detailed uh, things. I wanted to kind of clean up the house some, take out the trash. Uh, so I didn't go see if 451, had something written up. But the two figures that we have from that, one acquired for $220 million in cash. I always love an in-cash. That's pretty good. And then... Uh, I think what was it that they had seventy million in uh annual recurring revenue now whatever you know i I don't know if that's like some i don't know if that's the last trailing months or last year what their fiscal calendar is or anything like that, but you know that's fine that's that's a number and uh what I was curious to see is if there was some expenses reported somewhere uh not not expenses like dinners and things, but the um you know <laughs> what do you <laughs>
1: that'd be so funny and there was a 50 million dollar dinner last year wow that would have
0: been great (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. no you get that you get the iBankers to pay for those dinners. but uh yeah it's sort of like i think i think there are are many of us in in whatever we call this community now i like i like y'all's discussion last week of what exactly is a cloud native developer that was good uh but like who have been sort of uh you know as as was as was quickly uh tweeted about in Twitter by all the people, you know, like, oh, you know, the Chef and Puffet, like, helped so many people become the, uh, the, the little DevOpsers that they, uh, they are now today. So, it, you know, and undoubtedly uh, has done a, a lot for the community, such as whatever that community is. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of us have been sort of like wondering, like, oh, what's, what's the exit scenario for these companies? What's going on here? Because they have been going on, for a long time and uh well that's what i
1: thought maybe we can take it like chef you know past present future right because i think where we Mm. start right is in so much of this i kind of feel like i saw this on twitter it's is it fair to say i feel like chef and puppet are the at least for me i mean there's gonna be some other companies in here that i'm gonna leave out but they sort of are like the people that help Usher in DevOps, like, you know, that whole idea. Like, I think when for a while when people just, and I know i, I not apologies to the, the culture talks and all that kind of stuff, but for, I think for a while when it was kind of coming under the scene, people would mm. say like DevOps is like, oh, you mean like Chef and Puppet and like a lot of those, you know, kind of that, that family of people really, if you will, kind of help galvanize it and, and popularize it in some way. Right. So, so I think there is kind of an interesting, because of that, I think when I saw this acquisition and I saw it just like you and put some of the, the links in the show notes, like lots of people, if you will, like DevOps became a thing that really kind of led to, I think a lot of ways DevOps days even helped, if, if you will, make developer relations, DevRel, like kind of, you know, if yeah, you'll help yeah. grow that. And so I think a lot of people have like kind of, uh, you know, some type of, uh, you know, either nostalgia and also just like, you know career progress you know no pun intended there um you know came from that right it's like hey this is a movement it came together and it is now you look at it today it's like devops the phrase is is so over you know so used it's overused right we even kind of spend time like we don't even want to talk about it now so so in that respect i think it's like wow incredible right not only did you guys start companies but you can really say they help you know if you will defined uh a foundational component of like cloud computing as we think about it today. So I think that mm-hmm. is like, to me, like that's the past. Right. And then the present though is I do think, you know, this is just the more the financial side. Like we all have interest in like, well, like who's going to become rich, like who's going to make money and how much money. And this is like the age old, maybe, the, maybe one of our top three conversations we have in software defined talk is just open source in general. Like how profitable can an open source based company be based around all the different business models that we've talked about. So now we look ahead, and clearly, if we compare Chef to like, you know, I'm just going to pick Datadog because it's like, you know, it's like this is the new the new one that's lately out there. And it's like, well, Datadog's worth 20 billion dollars. Chef is, you know, 220 million. So obviously, they didn't hit. You know, obviously, from a venture capitalist point of view, this wasn't the outcome that that investors wanted. Right when they dreamed up this yeah. new category of DevOps. And it became a thing. I think people thought like probably it's going to be huge. It's going to be a you know multi billion dollar company, and that clearly didn't happen. So we can probably talk about a lot lot of reasons why. But I think there's going to be a lot of like I don't know. There's just always going to be a lot of stuff on the uh, internet where people are going to be. I want to say, see, I told you so. There's going to be a little bit of that, right? There's going to be a little bit about like well, it's about time something happened. And then of course there's just like for like the founder. I saw Adam Jacobs. Jacob, um, you know, his comment was just like, I think from him, his perspective was like, just so proud, right? Like, Hey, he created, he helped create not only him, right? But he helped found the company that was became worth $220 million. So if you look at it that way, it's like, that's incredible, right? Like I did it. I helped create something that had all this value. But if it's compared to, to all these other things, it can either look positive or negative. So I think that's like, to me, the present. And then the future is just like I don't know. I don't know much about progress. I, to be honest with you, I never heard of it before the acquisition. So, I think you know, yeah. big open question, right? Is like what becomes of it all? So I don't know. It's kind of like the time capsule way I think about
0: Chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I bet, I bet, you know, uh, one. I think a lot of those those people there is a lot of pride in uh, contributing everything you were just saying. They probably don't make mind making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Not a problem for them. Right. They, they got they got stuff going on there. No second flaming zombie. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know. I think I think we might I was bugging someone yesterday on one of my other podcasts about, you know, how everyone's always talking about microservices. And even nowadays, this doesn't happen so much, but the first thing they tell you, you know, after they do their bio like, I think, um, what's his name? Sam Newman. Like the first thing they'll tell you in a microservices talk is that you probably shouldn't be doing microservices. And then they'll go on to talk about why the monolith is terrible. And so I was, I was kind of messing with this guy. I was like, so like, can't we just say don't do monoliths? Like I don't hear anyone giving talks about like monolith patterns, right? Like how, how anyways, so to be sort of like, uh, delightfully like strident, like it's, is, is it, is the following a counterfactual? There's two things in the Tyler, Cohen, Weeds, Matt Iglesias world, two phrases they use all the time that I don't understand really. One of them is counterfactual, which I think just means what if, like what if this happened? Like it's a big old fancy word for a pretty fucking simple concept. And then, and then they're always talking about things on the margin. I don't understand. I think that means that like uh, things that are on the edges Things that are like uh, out of the ordinary things are where the interesting stuff happens, which I don't know. Like, I think the millions of parents putting a peanut butter sandwich in their kids' lunch every day is where the real work happens, not like someone's who mm-hmm. who's like, check it out, check it out. I'm going to put some chicken curry in their lunch, <laughs> at least in the Western world, right? Like, you know, just the mind-blowing stuff. I don't know. Anyhow. So, you know, I, I would, the combining together those two things, like, I would almost uh, wager that if it weren't for Puppet and Chef, there would, like, be no DevOps. And instead, what we would have seen is, like, the, like, what would have happened? The existing automation, now, of course, there's CF Engine and all that stuff, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I'll just dismiss all that wonderful quality work with the right. smallest side. Uh, but I'm making my little thing here tidier. Uh, but... You know, all the existing automation vendors, and then also VMware and Microsoft. And, and really like may- Logic.
1: go back to that time, Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah. Kind yeah of the precursors yeah. to all that. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And maybe even like IBM, like they were trying to figure this stuff out. Like maybe that stuff would have kind of taken hold on premise. And then meantime, it would just be like, you know, you would still have the big three clouds come along. And I don't know. I don't know if if you hadn't have given developers and operations people the ability to like do programmable infrastructure or infrastructure as code, as we used to say, I don't know if you would have had all this DevOps stuff because like it wouldn't be possible for the developers to like manage their own stuff in production and deploy it more frequently. And it also wouldn't have been possible for operations people to really like manage stuff at scale. It would be really weird. So just the idea of uh, maybe, you know, the uh, the wall of confusion you know coined by uh, this this clutch of people would have remained. It would have just been the wall of comfort and uh, so anyways so it's it's uh, they probably did a lot to uh, contribute to that thing and then yeah you know to to the it is it is so progress. they used to I get confused about them. I mean they're one of these like like private equity companies or something that has a bunch of stuff in it. But like, I feel like there used to be a progress database or it was an ESB. I'm pretty sure it was an ESB, right. That that used to be called progress that had like that Irish company that like had an open source ESB. That's not WSO2. But then I go look at their product thing. And like the only thing I recognize is, as another, uh, you know, long in the tooth systems management, uh, you know, software defined talk community members said is what's up gold. I know what's up gold. It's like, it's like SpiceWorks but with no ads. Um, and like, so it, like if you look at their portfolio, this shit is weird. Right. Right. Like, well, it's, I think it's, that's it,
1: the the biggest question on the future, right. Is that this doesn't seem necessarily like a company that, you know, we just talked about the movement that, you know, chef and puppet kicked off and like, you know, this movement's really huge and now it's everywhere. So, is it just a, a caretaker of the seventy million? You know, just do the math, right? It's like okay, you're worth seventy million dollars. You, you, your VCs or your venture capitalists or whoever decides that they would like to exit this business. They don't think Chef's going to grow to be a you know multi billion dollar company, and uh, Progress shows up and says, "Well, listen, we're very comfortable uh, writing a check for two hundred twenty million dollars on seventy million dollars in earnings, and you know we'll we'll, we'll be a caretaker of it, but we're not going to. You know, it's not the kind of thing that they're going to." Necessarily try to grow it into like a billions of dollar company, right? It's more like, hey, we will be a good steward of this business going forward. Mm. So, that part I think is from a financial sense that would make sense because you look at the money that they paid versus the annual revenue that's been announced, and you're like, that's a very reasonable multiple, right? It's a very financially driven number. So so going forward, I think that would be a question and I'm sure, you know, all the people at chef that either in the community or work, there are probably going to have to start thinking about it. It's like, okay, well, what does, what does progress want to do with it? Are they just trying to cash cow the product? Are they trying to do some, you know, if you will call it very reasonable growth, maybe it's like under double digits, like, you know, some four or five, right. to 8%, right. some kind of private equity thing, or is progress trying to use this to like jumpstart to your point, like, this portfolio of things that like we don't even see behind the scenes. They're trying to like add stuff, remove stuff and like, create a much more valuable high growth software company out of it. So all of those questions I think are probably what's being discussed today, you know, in the boardroom or the, if you will, the, the Slack channels of chef as they try to figure it all out. We are sponsored this week by SideQuest. SideQuest is a new task tracking app for Slack that combines the reliability of traditional ticketing systems with the ease of use of modern to do apps. Best of all, it lives 100% inside your Slack workplace. With SideQuest, team members can create tasks in public or private Slack channels or create tasks for specific people in personal task inboxes. Once a task has been created, SideQuest turns it into a single point of truth so you always have a shared understanding of the task at hand, its history, and its status. SideQuest is great for transparently managing little tasks that simply don't fit anywhere else. And SideQuest shines when it comes to powering entire Slack-based help desks for larger teams or external clients. SideQuest was just released and is already loved by hundreds of teams around the world and is currently being featured as one of the top three apps in the Slack app directory. If you want to use SideQuest, there is no need to install new software or to set up accounts, as SideQuest lives 100% inside Slack. SideQuest is made in Germany, so your data and your users are fully protected by GDPR, one of the world's strictest data protection laws. Start your 30-day free trial of SideQuest by visiting getsidequest.app slash SDT. Again, that's getSideQuest.app slash SDT. Once your free trial ends, you can use promo code SDT for fifty percent off the first six months. Again, the promo code is SDT for fifty percent off the first six months. Start tracking your task in Slack with SideQuest. And of course, we thank SideQuest for sponsoring our show.
0: So okay, while you're talking I wasn't ignoring you, but I had the chance to go read the, uh, the Wikipedia article on progress. All right. And, uh, so this, this is the kind of analysis that's fun to do, right? Cause, cause no one like figures this stuff out. So I was right. Progress bought Iona, which had, uh, had a, uh, the fuse and, uh, they, and it had Corba. Iona was a company that had one yes. of the orbs. Yes, So they that's bought fine. that. I and did. it looks like if I'm reading this correctly, it's a little confusing. It looks like, Progress sold that to Red Hat in 2010 which like I totally didn't know that which is weird but or no in wait uh, which was spun out from Progress anyhow anyhow so so some they they offloaded that and then they offloaded a tremendous amount of other stuff it looks like all their database stuff to get this trilogy now yes yep trilogy it, it tell me if i'm remembering right but trilogy is the place where software goes to be totally milked like don't they hire like a bunch of like offshore really, resources? Yeah. like like offshore we- I, I was gonna say cheap eastern european developers <laughs> okay either. and 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 then and then they have uh they have like ceos that manage multiple of the companies right. and so it's a very like um I don't even know what you call that model, but it's basically like we're going to invest as little as possible. Yeah. It's just me. Ma- I would just say stuff.
1: it's just literally making it a cash cow, right? Like we're going to yeah, minimal yeah, yeah. investment. We'll give you maintenance and, you know, some on some predictable schedule, very little new features. And we're not trying to yeah, grow yeah. anything. We're trying to meet so, a certain margin. Mm-hmm.
0: So what's interesting here about the strategy they have, and maybe if I just read what they say, it would say exactly this is progress used to be well, progress has been around for a long time since, uh, 87, no 81. Holy shit. And so they used to do a lot of, uh, you know, it looks like the CA world of stuff. And then, and then somehow they became a database, a data company, and also like a SOA company and everything. And then they just like jettisoned that all out. And now they, they kept, and then they're focused on developer stuff. And so in that way, it's a lot like, um, What's the company? There's, like, there's another like PE roll-up thing called uh, SmartBear, if they haven't renamed themselves, which used to be a testing tool company. And then they bought... I went to high school with Jason Cohen. I had barbecue with him. Yeah, now he's famous awesome for instrument.
1: WP Engine. Whole new thing. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Very, very... Anyways, he used to do JPEG compression software like back in uh, high school. It's crazy what this guy was up to. He made, he made his own programming language called uh, Salsa. Which ran on something called chips. I think I, I, I forget. Of course, but of anyway, course. So yeah, they rolled in his, his that his stuff, and then they. So now SmartBear is kind of like a developer focused thing. So that's sort of cool. And I guess I guess if you were to, and you were alluding to this, I mean, if you were to do a, um, I don't even know if you would call this a string of pearls, but if you were to acquire a few more things, you could sort of say we have a lot of tools that enterprises are going to use as they become more cloud native. Right. And so like, what we're going to do is one, we have existing revenue lines and we're also private. So like, you know, who cares about, you know, public performance, I mean, obviously they care to themselves, uh, but like, so we're just going to participate in that market and uh, get a piece of it. And then eventually you probably just, you know, roll that off onto some other PE firm or something like, I don't know, like it's, do companies like this ever have an IPO? Maybe they do. Well, I think normally, I, I
1: mean, that. most of the time, right, they build the asset up and then spin it back out, right? They'll spin it, either sell it to yeah. a, the quote unquote strategic buyer. So it'd be like a large software company that's wants to complete it or, or in the best case, you'd yeah. be like, wow, we've gotten it so big that we will do an IPO.
0: But I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess like micro focus and that's kind of like sort of in that area. And there's, there's a lot of assets like SUSE say they get traded around in this space, things like that. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's maybe, maybe it's, it's also reverse. Like, you know, chef has customers everywhere. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe the synergies flow into that. Who knows? Although, you know, I think, I think they have a small regional representation everywhere. So maybe those, those pipes are, are thin, but we'll see what happens. That'll be fun. Like there's, uh, I, you know, I wonder how many like, pe things like this there are now right like we we like talked about micro focus trilogy doesn't count that's a whole mm. other thing yeah, but it's all like
1: brava vista equity right? yeah yeah and they're all over there's, there's a lot
0: there's a uh, there's you know I, I wonder whatever happened to quest i used to know that company really well that's that's a company that has has always been this type of company arguably ca and bmc were like this but they were sort of like bigger Well, but they, I think
1: CA, BMC, they became like this, like they started as a very traditional and then slowly they started doing it. Whereas like Tom Obrava and this equity, I think they, they always started with like, we're going to write gigantic checks for companies. We're going to reorganize them, make them cost efficient. And then we're going to make money on that. And, and that's sort of the. I don't know, the more traditional yeah. private equity. You know,
0: market. and as we, we we say, or at least I say this every now and then, you know, as you're saying about RSA, right? Like it's going to go private and then in a couple of years it'll double in value. And then like, you know, the PE firm will make their billion in profit or whatever. And just like, why? Don't know. Right. Like, it's just like, as, as I always complain about when there's a, there's any profit in the PE market, what I rarely understand is like, if all that value was there at the beginning, potentially, why didn't the current, the past stewards of the organization get it? But what do I know? I, well, you know, I whatever. think the answer
1: here. I think it's all about investing in time horizons. I think what it comes down to, mm. right, mm. is this: is that the value may always be there, but as tolerance, for yeah, a given it. investor may not have the tolerance, or may have outside pressures because they cannot hold it. So, like for example, VC funds end after ten years. So. I don't know what's going on with chef, but I'm just saying like, if let's say this chef was in the fund, the fund's getting, you know, to the end, the partners of the VC firms want to close this fund out. Like, you know, they've made money on it with other companies. They just want to close this out, wrap it up. It's like, okay, we just need to get, you know, we need to sell it. We need to get rid of it. We're not, we don't have the ability to carry it anymore. And progress may say like, I'm happy to carry this. I'm in a perfect perfect position to do it. And at this very moment, there's not a strategic buyer out there that wants to pay like, whatever, 10 times earnings or something like that, or, you know, some type of multiple for it. So progress takes it off the hand, says like, I'll let it sit here. And now next year or a few years from now, someone, some strategic buyer may come back and say, you know, what we really need is we need a full blown DevOps automation suite. That's what we need to complete our portfolio. And they'll start to go shopping and progress will be like, yep, yep. For the right number, we've got that for you. So, so it's almost like a, at times I think these private equity, uh, Structures are just holding i mean just sometimes we describe this as just holding companies to just if you will help these investors move around. It's like gotta exit v c mm-hmm. not ready for a strategic buyer, so you almost go to the the private equity to wait for a few years, and of course, the private yeah. equity firm will yeah. say they're gonna improve it in some way, which may or may not happen
0: yeah 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 i I would be curious one day to like like what are they actually doing right like 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 day to day like. You know, I, I get the sense. What who, the a, private yeah. equity, or which just like like the 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 management of these companies? Oh, uh, I'll give you. I,
1: I think I have some insight into it. Like, yeah, So yeah. the the top level management is just out shopping for deals, right? They're just deal you mm. know, buyers, mm. sellers, kind of investment bankers. So your typical, what's being pitched, what's being bought and sold. Now, all of them generally have something they call like some uh, standard operating procedures. So when you go to a private equity firm, the private equity firm, whether this is true or not they will say something like, we know how to run software companies like you very efficiently and very profitable. And you will do that by following our standard operating. So they put in place management that essentially just goes in and reorganize the companies around their standard operating procedures, right? And so this is where people usually feel, you know, a lot of frustration. Like the company comes in, tells them what to do. And I think the private equity is like, hey, this is the way we do it. This is how how it goes. So I think they spend a lot of time just reorganizing the company in the way that yes. they think is right
0: and now, what, would, I, what would be a, a standard operating procedure whether whether an example or something you've made up that's a, a yeah a, well I think first
1: of all they'll install like a their own CFO who will quickly start mm-hmm. to transition to a financial model that they want and that usually is like our target operating revenue is this percent, right? And then everything, the whole company gets reorganized around, we have to meet this margin thing. So everyone's going to basically be told, hey, if you're running engineering, right, this is your budget. We cannot go above this, right? You have to do it. Um, You have to stay within this, this area, right? Then depending on the, the private, the, the firm, right? They will then often have like areas of a specialization. They'll say product management is done this way. We want, no matter what you've been doing, we want you to take your requirements. We want you to track them this way. We want you to build the, uh, the roadmaps in these templates. We will expect you to do these types of reviews. Sales, same thing. Sales is run this way. Here is the sales playbook that we run. You will have this presentation. You will have this thing, Marketing. This is the marketing spend that we expect. You'll do this kind of, and very prescriptive, right? This is the part that people don't. And so they will, you will either adapt to that and you'll say, yes, I'm going to do the marketing programs this way. I'm going to do the product management this way. Uh, or you'll leave, right? I mean, as an so, employee. So like,
0: like, like SolarWinds would have like the Solar Winds method. And Absolutely. Like they call it whatever the model. The, whatever, it's, called, it's referred whatever the,
1: to affectionately as the model.
0: Whatever product you're working on or service, you follow the model absolutely. Right? Like th- yeah. down to the use this product management stuff. Sales operates this yeah. way. Like, yep. there's not variability uh, across it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like when at Solo you would they would come in the first you meet with finance. They'd say this is how we're going to integrate you into the finance systems. Here's whatever special charges we have to make then absolutely. Then they would say, this is the sales process and then this is how we're going to do it. Like in their case, it's an inside sales process And, and everything as the company's coming in, you're essentially being integrated at all those functions. And so that's like, you know, obviously, SolarWinds is a software company, but private equity companies can often just like stand alone and just be like, I'm sending in the people to do it. Like Vista Equity has an arm called Vista Consulting. Vista, What is Vista Consulting? Is a group of consultants that can you can hire, that we could hire ourselves to come in and like, you know, help our, help our company. Or often they're sent into the company that's being acquired to put in all of this process, just the way it is. And so that's where all the friction is. When people talk about being acquired by private equity, it's like, wait a minute. These people just showed up and are now telling us what to do after we've been running this company for like 10 years. And it's like, yes, that's, that's what they paid to do it because they gave someone all this mm-hmm. money. They now get to do that. Now you have to decide for yourself if you want to do that or not, but you should not be surprised when that happens at a private equity firm. It's like, yeah, they're going to come in and tell you how to do it because that's what they paid you. That's why they wanted you to do it in the first place.
0: So there, there's no, it's not like IBM buying red hat where they're like, we're going to be hands off with this. Yeah, it's, it's, all, very, it's, it's, it's hands on. In
1: a private equity, equity situation, very, very unlikely. A VC. So an investor, because that would be more like I took investment. If you take investment from somebody, Maybe they get a board seat, right? Something simple. They're really kind of voting to you. Like, we believe in your management. We believe you're going to grow it a lot. The reason I invested in it was because of you. So I'm going to help you grow the company the way that you want. So that would be the the investor model. If
0: you're not following a method or the model, what your your, uh, uh, management strategy is that we are focused on let's say high growth, right? We're focused on growth and the way that we're going to do that is try a bunch of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like to, to use an old programmer metaphor, we're going to use the right technology for the problem, right? Instead of, instead of like, <laughs> That's right. you know, using, using the same thing, uh, for, for it. <laughs> I love uh, and so like, like what you're going to do across the product lines and the opposite, the hands on what the opposite of a PE model, we'll call it the model is you're just going to say, Hey, you know, we might have some standards for how we do things, but in general, each of the product groups can decide how they want to do stuff. This one runs in yeah. Scrum, this one runs in whatever else. And like the reason we do that is because we believe this will, at a portfolio level, it will allow us to chase opportunity and innovate versus in the PE setup. It's purely operational. It's just like we don't really need to innovate. I mean, I'll give you a few dollars to innovate so you can do that if within the budgets. But what we're doing now is we're like all in one big train and we have to like make sure we coordinate with each other and standardize and run on the same stuff to meet the uh, the numbers that we want. So you become an engine. And then that would imply to me that basically a lot of what the PE people do is they – I mean, it's like it's like consulting. I used to see this when I was in the the strategy group at Dell. There was a group of consultants who basically would like go and study problem areas and then do management consultancy stuff of, you know, suggesting how to fix it up. But of course, the only powers that they really have is like like funding and sort of staffing (laughs) and and hiring executives. But anyways, it's so that makes sense of what's going on there it sounds, sounds, uh, sounds a little not fun, but
1: well, it depends, you know, I think it all (laughs) depends on your perspective, right? I think if you were hired as a consultant and you really believed in your methodology and that you really could, right. You probably think it's a pretty good job if you, but it it is, it's probably pretty, I I, I,
0: I think, I think always being the consultant is fun, right? Like being, being the one who's telling other people how they should do things is always enjoyable. Nothing better. (laughs) Uh, now, that's not true. After a while, it does get exhausting and you're just like, fuck it, I'm making a peanut butter sandwich. But like, you know, always a good position to be telling other people yes. how to work. What I meant was, you know, being told how to work. Yeah, uh, and that's not could, fine. Could potentially I think not, universally not be hated.
1: Children hate it. Adults hate it. Everyone hates yeah. it. Don't come yeah. in and tell me what to do.
0: Yeah. You know, another thing on that front is like, my daughter says she doesn't eat cheese. Like she doesn't like cheese on anything. And then for the past two weeks, all she wants to eat is quesadillas for breakfast. And I just like, I guess, I guess if I start calling cheese queso, totally cool. Right. Like do, do, do what works well. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's exciting news. I think, I think that's a, that's a good, uh, report. That's a good data point in our whole, our whole enterprise here. You know, I think, uh, yeah. Good, good stuff from the chef people. They, they actually did a, you know, I was thinking just, to, as one more comment, we can kind of hit on a, a couple of other items before we close out. But, uh, you know, you know, I often complain about like, why can't a software company like not get obsessed with growth to the point of destroying themselves and just like, you know, chill out and like, you know, make money you know, and not, not have to be always constantly high growth and trying new weird things. And there is a certain like that, that, that praise that, that we and other people were giving chef and puppet and, and the others for sort of like helping out the community. I don't really know how to describe it, but that positive goodwill is a technical term in accounting, but like that good that positive effect on the community is a, it's something to pay attention to. That's not in a monetary way. And in, in the sense that, Maybe you know it looks like Chef raised like 110 million total, right? And they get built, bought by well, that's exactly double, right? So that's not exactly a spectacular return uh, for for whoever invested that 110, depending on this, that, and the other and whatnot. But like on the other hand, you can't really like put a value on all of that goodwill-y stuff that they created. And for people like you and me, and you know, definitely our other host who's not here, and all sorts of other people like. That was a, you know, a lot of money well spent to create all sorts of non-monetary value, which I think is something uh, we don't always like consider, <laughs> but it's, it's uh, something else to pay attention to. So anyhow, there's also the uh, uh, the Gardner magic quadrant for cloud infrastructure and platform services that came out. And I think maybe to combine together a few things here. I only read some coverage of the uh, the infrastructure thing. I think by uh, Tim Anderson. Have you noticed he's been doing a lot more writing? Him and uh, Simon Sherwood at yes. the Register and Tim Anderson. Yep. Those two, those are that. That's kind of like uh, I think. I think they're on the Timothy Prickett Morgan path. Like if they keep up this amount of work and what they're doing, I think the uh, I forget what the Register's parent company is called, but the the Register is going to set them up with their own site somewhere, just like the old. Uh, TPM that has there. Anyhow, they've been doing great stuff recently and a lot more. Some At some point, I think uh, Tim Anderson went and just like enjoyed the English countryside for a couple of years, but now he seems to be back, which which is nice. Uh, so uh, I read a write-up that he had and and it was, you know, the one thing, it was the thing about the uh, magic quadrants of like cloud stuff. I haven't actually read the Paz one yet, which is the broader one, but like it's basically just like, you know, what people already know. It's just like Amazon's number one, Azure's number two, Google's number three. And it's like Amazon has everything, lots of stuff going on. It's not actually always cheaper. And then the Microsoft stuff is like, I don't know, it's pretty good. It's Microsoft. And the Google one is always like, they're fucking goofy right and like this is like every single year this is like the 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 popular sentiment and that comes out and i don't mean that to be dismissive like it's a good bi-directional uh confirmation of stuff and uh yeah you know it's it seemed uh it was fun to read the summary that tim anderson had because it was just like yep i'm pretty sure that's what everyone would say like it's it's one of those things where like uh until someone simplifies it and writes it down, you don't realize how commonsensical it is. <laughs> right. But is and that so the,
1: the value of this report is simply, like, there's value sometimes in just reaffirming nothing has changed, right? It's just like— Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, because yeah. I think that's all—I mean, too, 100%. I read the thing, I was like, that's generally was my understanding, I think that's what everyone agrees to. And so— you know, I guess it is. It's just one of those things like, well, right now, once a year, Gardner write, writes it down and either at some point the magic quadrant goes away because it's, you know, there's no longer any interest in it because it's just this is just how it is. Or yeah. one year we're going to open this thing up and we're going to be like, whoa, never saw this com- this company that we've never heard of. Or we probably had heard of it at this point, but we're starting to see it like move up the trajectory. We're like, wow, it's really yeah. overtaken these, these what we thought the legacy vendors
0: are. Um, but, yeah, yeah, there wasn't well, much I, to I, it. I think definitely – the Oracle cloud product managers like slept well Mm -hmm. when that report was published, they were like, we're still in there. Right. Like, well, not really. I mean,
1: I think it is so painful for all the product managers that are in the niche. Like, you know, I think Alibaba and Tencent get like a nice little pass because it's just like, well, we're big in China. Like, yeah, done, I'm, I'm just, right? I'm
0: just saying, you know, in the, the original few magic quadrants, there were a lot of people in there that dropped out. I know, so, but I'm like, just saying just,
1: like, you are, if you're the Oracle or IBM product manager, the amount yeah, of emails that went around from your management team about, and that then is. all these, like they opened up the spreadsheet, you know, cause these are all done in these massive spreadsheets. They're like, did you, why didn't you add this feature in this that's cell? Because true. if you had told them about, did you not tell them that we, we have a new user experience? I can't understand it, right? And it's just like, no, no, that's not how it works. But, you know, companies aren't logical. So so I do think if you're Oracle and IBM, you're like, oh, this is like, you could be. Yeah. You're on the I verge the of being dropped, right? You're like, if you don't move up and, you know, they change the criteria – that's gonna be very bad for you. So there's yeah, no, there's. I feel
0: bad. I guess. I, I guess, I guess all all to them. put it, what what I what I was more meaning of like, you know, you have you have survived to not sleep another day, right? Like at least <laughs> at least, least, at you least you're, yeah, uh, you're 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 still there.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, <laughs> <laughs> yes, your gravestone yeah, yeah. has not been written on quite yet. So, but so, that's so, a huge. So,
0: yeah. so, to, so to what you were starting to say, I, I mean, I think I think that when as, as, a, as layer of the technology stack commodifies more and commodify is the wrong, as it standardizes more and there's less sort of like highly differentiated innovation going on, right? Like what you want, I think as a buyer is you want to know that there's not some, no secret or something that you don't know happening, right? You want to know that like, if I like things are what they appear to be, right? Yeah. Cause you know, you're going to get all because you, you're going to get us vendors coming and telling you that like, oh, mine's better than theirs. And you're kind of like, but is it really like, is there really any difference between all this stuff? And or, so,
1: or I think said it quite just a slightly different way is like that report makes it so that every IT, CIO, IT manager out there that decides to buy anything, you're OK buying Google or GCP, Azure or AWS. They're going to look at this yeah. report and you're just going to say, I, whichever one you chose, you're going to say, I chose this one because it had a specific thing that we needed in our environment. And look, it's also one of the leaders and that's good. And also everyone will just be fine with it. And that's, that's what it is. Everyone has permission to buy that. If you bought something that's not in there, right. You will have, it will require, we would like to see all your work. We would like to see a a six page memo on why you did that. Right. And you know, maybe you have the answers, but you, that will be required.
0: Love a six-page memo. I try to do that every now and then. And, and you know the problem with a six-page memo, no one reads it.
1: Takes a long time to. Like, well, got you. Gotta, that's why you have to allocate the first thirty minutes of yeah, the meeting uh, or twenty minutes, yeah. whatever, to read six pages.
0: Yeah, I think the, the evolution of that de- idea is going to be six-page uh, memo, but with no meeting. If we can pull that off as as a uh, as a civilization we will have advanced. I will say this. This is done. a quick
1: aside. Uh, the, the people that are famous for writing six page memos, a lot of them that I work with in, in my day to day, it's like, I see a lot of PowerPoint from them too. So I'm just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Draw from what you, draw from that what you will. I'm just saying, I still see a lot of uh, PowerPoint from the six page memo company. too. You,
0: you know, you know what they used to say? Use the right tool for the job. Amen. That, right tool, the- right job. <laughs> well so uh do we have any before we get to recommendations do we have uh anything for the software defined talk bureaucracy corner that we need to go over brandon
1: just a couple of things uh doug mcclure he posted a job uh in the software defined talk slack and uh, he wants you to work in professional services at PagerDuty down in a uh, and z australia new zealand so if you want to know about that you know what you should do you should join the slack go find doug he posted all the details in there he'd probably even tell you more about the job if you ping them on slack also for those that are uh monitoring it. The software defined talk thread inside the Slack has now um at least last time I looked at it, it was one thousand seventy five messages. So uh <laughs> so good job everyone. Um as speculated, I thought there would be someone out there with a bigger one. And after last week's episode, someone from DigitalOcean wrote in that they have a thread that's over five thousand messages and three years old. So we have our work cut out for us before uh, we can even really what? crack the uh the thread Is- top ten, let's shall we say.
0: Is it possible just to move all of the Slack discussion into that one thread? <laughs> well, it's that getting there. Share. If
1: you joined it, you would notice it's it's. Start, I have a hard time keeping up. It's that thread is, has spawned a lot of topics. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's going strong, though. I thought maybe oh, it'd be fun. And it'll peter out. But if anything, that thread is stronger than ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's several conferences coming up. The uh, there's uh, there's another KubeCon coming up in November. The, uh, there's the DevOps World by CloudBees in September 22nd to 24th. And as mentioned last week, EnvoyCon. Is it going to be 20 people there or uh, hundreds of them, as as uh, as I recall? But those those look fun and interesting. Also, if I can give a little plug, I think today the recordings from Spring 1 came out, uh, all of them. So I'll have to dig out uh, you know, the panel that I did and some other ones to uh, recommend ongoing. But if you go to spring you can check a lot of those out. There were... All of the talks in the track that I help chair are wonderful. You probably have never seen talks that good, so you owe it to yourself to go uh, watch all of them. So with that, Brandon, this week, what do you have to recommend?
1: Uh, Well, one thing I just want to make sure that if you want a sticker, uh, I didn't send out any stickers Mm, this week, but I can send them out anytime. All you got to do is send your postal address to stickers.softwaredefinedtalk.com. Happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And uh, Kote, you uh, posed a question earlier today. You said, you know, what, what about a company that doesn't necessarily have to like, worry about making tons of money and has the autonomy to kind of do what they want to do? What would that look like? Well, I learned by listening to my recommendation this week. It was the Acquired podcast, which I like, but they did an entire episode on Epic Games, mostly centered around the founder of Epic Games. And as you may know, Epic Games is privately held, and they are in an epic battle if you will, between themselves and Apple. So it turns out, um, you know, learning about the founder and his history. So one, he, he grew up pretty close to where I grew up. So like one, I just, you know, I, for some reason that that's important to me. Uh, but two, uh, you know, he's got some really specific views. I think about he's worth billions of dollars, but doesn't necessarily... Um, fall into the category of billionaires in, in the similar um, places. He's done a lot of interesting things with his money. And I think it it sounds like if you, from listening to the podcast, that his battle with Apple is more than just him trying to, like them trying to make money. I think he has a very specific view of of the world and of kind of this broad concept called the metaverse, which I know is kind of crazy, but like this idea of like where the, the next version of the internet could go and like why it should be more, if you will, uh, open than rather than Apple. Um, so I thought it was really interesting and it was really interesting to like hear his, uh, his st- story told through, um, the two hosts of the acquired podcast. So it's kind of a long listen, but I actually learned quite a bit about both Epic games, where it came from, as well as kind of like, um, if you will, the ethos of where this maybe this current battle, legal battle between Apple and Epic is going. So it's mm. fun. If you're interested in this and you want more background on it, definitely check out that version of the podcast.
0: Hmm yeah that does that does sound like fun anyways uh so my recommendation something we we didn't get uh to talking about is there there was uh some of the analysts over at gartner wrote up their position that kubernetes should not be uh done for portability concerns because uh, i think we've mentioned this before you know like once you start depending on uh, the services that are in whatever cloud you have and the data that i don't think they even use the phrase data gravity but as we used to call it data gravity uh, you know, once once you're you're um benefiting from or locked into those things, like whatever portability things that you're gonna get are kind of meaningless and uh, are not as valuable. So instead, uh, I forget what the analyst off the top of my head what they recommended focusing on for uh, Kubernetes, but they wanted to they, they're floating the theory that multi cloud, as in portability. Isn't really the top of the list of priorities, and I think uh, I think it's worth going over there and considering that stuff, looking at it, right tool for the job sort of situation, because I think uh, I think as we learned, uh, I think as we first learned back in the Java days, you know, write once, run anywhere, doesn't really have as big a payoff as you might think. Now that it's it's true that it applies in many places and it works out, but like it's not it's not like there's other concerns you have, like I just wrote, you know, a big uh, what, what was uh, what was their their RIA framework? I forget, like <laughs> J-A-X-F, no, yes. Jet. Ja- mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, anyways, you know, you have other concerns that come up. I think I think uh, uh, long term attention to evolving the technology instead of ditching it is uh, a very uh, important thing to focus focus on like i don't know if you look at how spring has evolved Ooh, and uh, caught up are. with things yeah Subtle. it's not it's mm. not just a whole bunch of XML files still you can do uh, other things and uh, it actually evolves and is reliable, so that's the kind of thing you want to uh, pay attention to so you should check that out now with that said. this has been another software defined talk episode. If you want to see the show notes, all sorts of news items we didn't cover, you can get links to those conferences. Exciting stuff like that. Uh, you can go to softwaredefinedtalkcom 256. That's some sort of computationally significant number because people couldn't just use like base 10. They had to confuse us with their octets and binary and all that bullshit. Like, but whatever. Thank you. Computer science. Yeah. Uh, but if you go there, you can see the show notes. Also, you can find out easily how to join the Slack channel to join our mega thread. And uh, you can help us uh, defeat Digital Ocean's prowess at uh, a, a, uh, you know, a thread. We'll, we'll check in in three or five years, see how it's going. We'll probably have migrated to Teams by then. So we'll have to uh, figure out what, uh, what we'll be doing there. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Oh, I wasn't monitoring the, the, the live chat. They did. Know, the the one,
1: we should have given it credit. Somebody made uh, the point that uh, if without Chef or Puppet, like the major cloud vendors would have eventually stumbled into DevOps because it just requires... So much automation, we're just like, yeah, probably true. So, so that was a good point. We would would just have
0: SRE, which is a slightly different take. I I like I like SRE. SRE's take is like, I'll let you play with the knives, but if you cut yourself, not my fucking fault. Yeah, that's actually good. (laughs)
1: That's actually a good point. It would be maybe quite like it wouldn't be as free flowing, if you will. Yeah, Yeah.
0: SRE is sort of like DevOps without the empathy. Who uh,
1: who made that point? It was uh, Rex Roof.